In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Scott DeBoer. Michael Dexter and Mark Eggers talk with Scott about his healthcare career and specifically his focus on pediatrics. Also come along and find out about Scott's new part-time job. This episode is called Better Ways to Care for Kids. Hello, and welcome to BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, to create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education and Technology Services at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. And I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hey, Mark. Great to be with you again. Thank you. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Scott DeBoer. Michael, would you please tell us about our BCN and Friends, Scott? Yeah, I would be happy to. Scott DeBoer is a dynamic seminar leader with over 30 years of emergency, critical care, and flight nursing experience. After 25 years of flight nursing at the University of Chicago, Scott is now the primary seminar leader for Pediatrics, a company dedicated to teaching better ways to care for kids. Scott holds a master's degree in emergency critical care nursing, as well as the CPEN certification, and has had the CEN, CFRN, and CCRN certifications now retired. He has been published over 150 times in journals around the world and has been the recipient of a number of professional healthcare awards. Scott is also a husband and father and a cancer survivor. If you happen to travel, you may run into him playing paramedic at a popular Orlando tourist destination. More on that later, but first, welcome Scott DeBoer. Hey, y'all. Thanks for letting me play. Yeah, we're happy to have you with us today. And I want to talk to you about your healthcare career, but before we get into the pediatric component of that, can you tell us a little bit about why you became a nurse, why you became a flight nurse, and maybe about a, a specific preceptor or individual that really helped steer your path in the nursing community? Sure. So for me, my focus has always been pediatrics. Even in high school, I thought I always wanted to be a pediatrician. But during high school, I would teach swimming and gymnastics. And one day I was running to work and a tree root jumped out of the middle of the road and attacked me. And the moral of the story was I broke my ankle in a couple places, went to the ER. And then throughout high school, I broke my ankle four more times and spent way too much time in the emergency room. And as fate would have it, thinking I wanted to become a pediatrician, having spent all this time in the ER, I wind up liking what the ER nurses did a whole lot more than what the ER docs did. <laughs> so literally because of that weird thing, I said, I really liked what the ER nurses were doing. They came in, they were helpful. I got to look at the other cubicles and see what was going on. And it seemed, for lack of a better term, relatively exciting. And I'm like, you know what, this is probably going to be a cool fit. So happily jumped from there, went to nursing school. And since then, I've always been focused on ER in flight. Like Many ER and flight nurses, admittedly, my attention span is that of a doorknob. <laughs> and therefore, I learned when I worked in the ICU, which was an amazing place to start because you didn't have physicians with you 24 hours a day and not teaching hospitals. So you had to actually learn how to look at your patient. And you had to be able to be able to call the doc and say, you know, this is what I'm seeing, what's going on? What do you think we've already need? You know, what do we need to do? 
But admittedly, I quickly learned that I only liked taking care of people when they were really sick. And when they were still there two weeks later, it just wasn't a good fit for me. So yeah. I happily jumped to the ER and I'm like, oh, this is better. I've only got people for a couple hours. And I'm like, no, that's too long. So then I happily went ahead and jumped to flight. And I'm like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> because they were all really sick. I had them for short periods of time. And I'm like, I have absolutely found my niche. And I was blessed being able to play flight nurse up in Chicago for 25 or so years. And so as a flight nurse in Chicago, were you primarily caring for pediatric patients or was it a mixture of adult and peds or, or what did yeah. that role entail? Where I was at was actually kind of neat in that it worked out well for me having a love of pediatrics in that the program that I flew with, we did approximately 50 or 60% big people and 40 or 50% kids. So it worked out really well in that I got to go ahead and take care of adults, but I learned that I very much preferred and was much happier taking care of little people. Um, so with that, I learned over the years on transport that whether it was in the ER on the side of the road or wherever it might've been, we like to say that there's only two kinds of nurses and medics, and that's those who are scared to death of kids and those that are lying. There just wasn't a whole lot of in-between outside of the big kids hospitals that only did kids. Yeah. And as I started my presentation career, in addition to working staff, my wife, being the first smarter member of the family, simply said, you know, there's a lot of people out there presenting on adults. She's like, you really don't like adults. She's like, why don't you go ahead and just, you know, starting your, as your career starts and go ahead and focus on teaching, you know, people how to not be terrified when it comes to little kids. Okay. Well, great. So you started talking uh, or presenting on pediatrics and uh, tell me a little bit, cause you have a company uh, called PediEdTrix, but tell me a little bit about how that company came to be and um, maybe what the initial name of the company was. Yeah. So that winds up being a source of major psychological drama a couple years ago. <laughs> so years ago, we started again with my wife, a fax machine in the basement we started our company, which was originally called Peds R Us. So just like Toys R Us, but it was Peds R Us. And we had a legal trademark for well over 10 or 15 years. And we're happily going, playing nurse once a week and teaching pediatric emergency care somewhere in the country once a week. Then a little over, I don't know, let's say seven or 10 years ago, I honestly don't remember which, we got a FedEx overnight first delivery one of those envelopes from a major law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe, essentially saying that you have two weeks to cease and desist, all things involving the name of your company with R Us. And they said, because evidently, for whatever reason, even though we had a trademark, we called a trademark attorney. She took a look and said, essentially, they have more lawyers than you do. And even if you win, you're going to lose. So she's like, you know what? It's just the way it is, just change your name. So even though we were happily Peds R Us for many, many years, because of that day, we went ahead and changed our name to Pediatrics and happily have continued on from there with our only mission statement and goal of just teaching better ways to care for kids. Okay. And that's an interesting story and uh, interesting name of that law firm there. I caught that. So if you, 
So if you, uh, you know, you talk about teaching once a week, the first time you and I met was actually at a pig lab. Um, so tell me a little bit about what your company does, because it sounds like you have multiple components of the entire pediatric education spectrum. Correct. What's kind of neat about our company is that it's only focused on kids and it's only focused on sick kids. When people ask, inevitably, as you well know, if you are, quote, the nurse on the block, everybody on the block knows your name, they know your cell phone, they have your email, because anything happens to any of their kids, they're going to call you. So regularly, we get, you know, calls from down the road, and most times it's happily things like how much Tylenol, how much Motrin, and stuff of that sort, and that's wonderful. I don't know anything about healthy kids. My career has only been focused on sick kids. So our goal is, again, up until the cancer diagnosis a couple years ago, I would happily play flight nurse or ER nurse once a week. And then through our company, somewhere in the world, we would teach either one of two type of courses. We've got traditional PowerPoint, you know, C-Pen reviews, something of that sort reviews. And then as you described, for years, we've got, and I'm biased, of course, having, you know, worked with my wife and others to create the course, but we've got our pediatric playtime course, which was an all-day, all-hands-on pig lab. And the pigs, most importantly, they're not killed for the purpose of our lab. They're a byproduct, literally, of Johnsonville sausage. So the same people that make the really cool Cajun brats and stuff of that sort right. is where we get our pig parts from. Okay. And it worked out really well. A couple of years ago, we did a pig lab down in Florida here. And actually the local fire department did a great job with PR. And they actually had the local NBC, CBS and ABC affiliates actually came wow. to the pig lab. It was like, oh my gosh. I mean, literally we had three news crews there, you know, going ahead and getting video coverage. And as they were interviewing my wife as part of the faculty, they actually had on one of the affiliates the tagline pediatric company uses dog food to help save children's lives <laughs> that is brilliant and the whole idea is you can present via powerpoint and that's great but if you actually as you know from coming through our labs if you actually get the chance to actually hold a heart or a lung in your hands and actually hook a lung up to a ventilator and see what peep actually does as an educator, there's absolutely no feeling in the world like looking and seeing when the light bulb goes off in somebody's eyes. And we've had ICU nurses who've been ICU nurses since dirt who have come to our lab and they just get that look and they're like, that's what this really does. They're like, I've had thousands of patients on ventilators, but I never really understood what X, Y, or Z actually did until you were actually able to see it, hold it. And for our perspective, that just makes it all worth it. Well, great. So you, um, you've been talking about the pediatric education, and, and you also mentioned your company changing from PedsRS to pediatrics. And another component of what you do, I know, is legal. And, talking, and it wasn't just the legal related to your company name, but actually medical legal. So can you tell me, like, how did you go from loving pediatric education, flying on the helicopter to getting involved in the legal side of nursing care. Yeah, that's actually, it's really, now it's fun. When I first started doing medical legal consulting, it was not fun by any means. 
the way that I personally got into it is during my last semester of grad school, they had a day when former alumni came in and essentially came in and just said, you know what, here's what I'm doing with my graduate degree. And one of the people who came in worked for a law firm as a medical legal consultant. And she just simply said, you know what, if anybody's interested, you know, please just send me a copy of your resume or your CV. And if we have a case that involves your particular specialty, you know, we can see if it's a good fit. So a week or two later, she called me up and said, we have an ER case and would you like to do it? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exciting. Sure. Having no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> so there's, in the medical legal world, there's absolutely no way to describe your first couple of depositions or going to court. Yes. In that I'm in the, I thought I was prepared until I saw how well the attorney on the other side was prepared as they're staring at this 10,000 page chart, having had really good paralegals that prepped everything and had it indexed. And they're like, but Mr. DeVore, on page 364, line three, you notice that. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I came out of this deposition, like literally in tears. Yeah. I went home and I told my wife, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. This was just awful. The attorney called two days later and he's like, hey, it actually wasn't bad for your first time. You want to do another one? And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so once I got over that and learned how the process worked, now it's enjoyable because it really comes down to people ask when it comes to medical legal, specifically whether you're a nurse or a medic, whatever it might be as an expert, the whole idea people ask most commonly, do you have to be a paralegal? Do you have to be something of that sort? And the answer is definitively no. The law firms have paralegals. That's what they do. They want you to be able to go ahead and look at the chart and not to be a yes man. They want you to be able to look at the chart and just very simply say, this is what you do every day. They're like, I'm an attorney, you're a nurse. Take a look at this and tell me, did they mess up or did they not mess up? And the whole key is, again, not being a yes man. Because if you're a yes man in court, you're going to get ripped to shreds. They just need to know up front, yes, I have a case or no, I don't. And it's almost like playing Sherlock Holmes and that your whole goal is to go through this entire record and all of these depositions to find something. And if you find something, because it's such a nice feeling when you can be able to look at a case and say, you know what, you can sue the nurse, but you're going to lose. Yeah. That's a wonderful feeling because attorneys are going to, if they're smart, they listen to you and they're like, all right, because you're going to lose. Nobody wants to lose money, you know, versus the other side. When you look and you simply say, you know, what were you thinking? Because <laughs> you feel bad because you try to put themselves in their shoes. But that's where you remember back in school, that whole idea of you didn't document it, you didn't do it. Right. right? Attorneys can go round and round about this for hours. But at the end of the day, before a case gets anywhere near a courtroom, the first place it goes is to the attorney. The second place it goes is to some expert's desk. And they're literally just sitting at their desk, just flipping through the chart. And all we have is the chart. But that, right. I tell nurses, is huge. Because if you write a story in your chart, and five years later, I can read through on my couch your chart and put myself in your shoes and say, okay, I can see where you're going with this. That is a beautiful feeling. Versus the patient's blood pressure 60, next blood pressure written in the chart is four hours later. 
in court, you can say, you know what, your honor, I swear I took the blood pressure every five minutes and that's great. But the other side is going to take the chart, scan it, blow it up eight feet high, have it sitting on the screen above your head for the jury to look at while you're seeing this, but they're seeing this. And it's just, it's a really, especially for nurses that got a couple years of experience, because that's the main thing that attorneys want, is they want a nurse who's been at the bedside, who's able to say, this is what a reasonable and prudent nurse should do. If it's the opportunity and people get to play with it, I highly recommend it. It's really actually a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I think I could talk to you for a long time about this topic, and that's not even what I primarily wanted to talk to you about. But it's, <laughs> but it's very, but it's very interesting because you know um, you, you will be speaking for us at our upcoming BCN Learn Live conference in November in Vegas. Uh, uh, yeah, in Vegas about um, landmark lawsuits. And without getting too far into that particular uh, topic, I was just, as you were speaking, I was thinking if you could tell a newer nurse one or two things, like I've seen this in lawsuits, I've seen this in clinical practice, whatever, don't ever do this. What would be something, you know, we talk about like always use waveform capnography for transfer yeah. of patients. So what would be maybe a couple tips that you have for somebody that you've seen from the legal perspective? And then sure. I want to jump back to the actual pediatric care perspective. No worries. So the biggest thing that I've come across are number one, again, remember your only purpose of charting because I love being a nurse. I hate charting. I've never met a nurse who enjoys charting, yeah. but charting again, from a legal perspective is huge because that's all they have. So again, when it comes to charting new nurses, experienced nurses, if you can take a minute and literally just a, think four years down the road, if somebody is reading this, because you're not going to remember this patient. And as an expert, I certainly know nothing about this patient. So going ahead and writing a story to the best of your ability is huge. Number two, remember whatever protocols, policies, procedures, whatever you want to call them. Remember that you actually should have an idea as to what your hospital policies, procedures actually are. Because when it goes to court, rest assured, both sides have a copy of them. And if there's something that they like or don't like, again, they will blow them up eight feet high to show the jury. Right. Number three, you touched on waveform capnography. Whether it's color change, color metric, right, or waveform, you see the pretty wave go up and down. Either way, if you just put an endotracheal tube in somebody, or if your patient crashes for whatever reason, always absolutely verify where your tube is first. And lastly, it sounds relatively simple, something you hopefully learned prior to kindergarten, and that's called don't lie. If you screwed up and it's early on in the discovery process when they start to work this whole legal thing, being straight up and honest is huge because Lord knows I've screwed up over the years, right? It happens to everybody, but don't lie. Because yeah. it's understandable. People are stressed. Oh my gosh, there's attorneys. It's this whole process. But if you lie, it just doesn't go well. Because rest assured, the other side will find out. And then as it progresses on, they just add more and more zeros onto the settlement. And it just makes that whole being able to defend your process just far more difficult. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those and appreciate the tips and the comments there. And, and I mentioned I wanted to get back to asking a few questions about pediatrics uh, specifically. You have 
lectured countless times. You've helped write a number of books and, and even had some uh, CPEN review books and different things around uh, pediatric care. So what are you doing currently with pediatric care? Because COVID kind of threw off a lot of those in-person things. And, and so what are what's happening there and how is your company riding the wave of, of all the changes lately that have happened with COVID? Sure. Happily, finally, live presentations and or skills labs are finally coming back, which um, we've been to a couple sites that still require, especially on the hospital side, if a course is being at a hospital, they still require you to mask up and that's fine. Yeah. But during COVID, everything jumped to Zoom because for lack of a better term, that was kind of your only option. And it can be done. It's just such a blessing to finally be able to come back live. So from my perspective, again, cancer kind of changed life in regards to what we're going to be able to go ahead and do in the future. But happily, again, live presentations are back. And now instead of playing flight nurse, I happily now, as you mentioned, I get to play paramedic at a Orlando theme park, which is just- Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that next. uh, Way to picture where my career was going to go. Well, tell us a little about a little bit about your paramedic role now, and uh, if you don't mind, and and how you've adjusted life based on your your recent cancer treatment. Yeah, so the moral story when it comes to cancer is just a couple years ago I picked up a case of colon cancer, and I went through surgery, had six months of chemo, and except for coding during my last round of chemo, we happily have done really pretty well. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's like, I'm sitting in my last round and I'm like, I don't feel good. They're like, you don't look good. I'm like, I really don't feel good. (laughs) Then I woke up in the ER and that was kind of go from there. But um, why that's an issue is post-cancer, regrettably, I've learned that there was something called chemo brain. And chemo brain, when you talk to oncology nurses, And just a major shout out, if I can put her name out there. So her name is Anya Kubik. And she's a former ER nurse. And when I first met her was in oncology, whereas she was an ER nurse forever and now works in oncology. And during my first visit, when I was starting chemo, I'm like, you look familiar. And she's like, so do you. And it wound up that she worked at an ER that I used to fly and pick patients out of. Wow. But from my perspective, Anne has simply been just an absolute godsend over the years. And then she went from ER to oncology and it just, oh my gosh, to have a former ER nurse now as your oncology, help me out through this process person. Again, just a shout out, Anne has just been an absolute godsend. But since chemo brain kicked in, for most people, it's temporary by about six months. In a small percentage of people, i.e. me, it's permanent. So having had all the fancy million dollar workup, what I tell people now at the beginning of my presentations is simply 95% of the time, what I mean to say is what I mean to say. 5% of the time, if I mean to say epinephrine and what comes out is baby shark, just smile and wave your hand. (laughs) People I was presenting yesterday and they would just smile and wave their hand. And I'm like, okay, what did I say? That's probably not what I meant to say. (laughs) It's like... But that's okay. If that's the least of the sequelae, I can certainly, you know, happily work with this, but it's just life as we've been given it. But with that, post-cancer, having, again, some medical issues is I started a couple months ago playing at one of the theme parks here in Orlando. 
as a paramedic. And I've had a paramedic cert forever. I just didn't actually do anything with it because I was working flight, but I thought it would be helpful and good to have this information. Yeah. So then my wife started a couple months ago as a Medicare as well at the same theme park. And she's like, I really think you would like this. She said, it hits all your little sparkle buttons because you get to go. And the neat part is that every two hours on an eight hour shift, you rotate. So it's not like if you're in the ICU for 12 hours with one bedside or in the ER with four, you know, four beds you have to go to. In the particular place that we work, every two hours you rotate. So you're two hours in Harry Potter, and then you're two hours at one of the first aid stations, and then you're two hours at Simpsons, and then you're two hours over here. And it's just, it's like being in the ER in that you just have what you have with you at that moment, and then you just rotate around, and whenever the little beep goes off in your earpiece, you have a couple of minutes to get to wherever the person might be. Wow, that's neat. So I bet it's a, a pretty fulfilling to be in a place like that where everybody's happy and, and excited to be there. And, and yes. I'm sure I'm sure there's other uh, medical issues you have to deal with, but it, it seems like a far cry from the ER as well. It's really, I give them credit in that when they hire medics, they only hire experienced medics and appropriately so because you're out there in the theme park until you know somebody else can show up and help. But what we tell people is, 90% of the time, it's seemingly blisters and band-aids. And that's okay. 10% of the time, it's somebody who's having a seizure on a roller coaster. It's like, okay, this is a little different <laughs> than when I had a patient having a, you know, a seizure on an ER bed. It's slightly different than when you're sitting in a harness on a roller coaster and you're actively seizing. It's like, right. okay, this is a different world. But the neatest part that I genuinely love about this new role, you mentioned everybody's happy, mm -hmm. which is true. I mean, we're in Orlando. It's the tourist capital of the world. But at a theme park, people are happy because they're at a theme park. And it's like flight nursing revisited. Whereas when I was a new baby flight nurse, my preceptor sat me down and she said, flight nursing is simple. She said, it's 99% PR and 1% knowledge. She said, you're smart, you got the job, get over it. Don't get a big head. She's like, 1%, she said, is your knowledge is 99% PR. Because in the Chicago area, there was three helicopters within a 20-mile radius. And as a rule, places didn't care if you showed up in a brown flight suit, a black flight suit, or a pink tutu. If you were nice and you took good care of the patient, they called you again. If you had a big head you know what, they would call somebody else. Yeah. And it was fascinating because over the years, it completely was absolutely true. In the realm of theme park medicine, which again, I didn't even know was an option, <laughs> but it's a whole specialty that's very similar to flight nursing in that some people are sick, some people are not sick, but it's all about PR. Because people, as you know, are very, very happy to post comments on whatever social media it might be. And if they have a great experience, then they pass, you know, and go ahead and post positive. And mm -hmm. if they have a very negative experience, they're more than happy to go ahead and post negative experiences. And from our perspective, it's like being a flight nurse and that in a flight nurse, you wore your flight suit. Everybody could pick you out in the cafeteria with no questions asked. In the particular theme park that we work in, our outfit is very, very similar in that you can pick us out of a lineup. We're not dressed like people in Harry Potter. 
we're not dressed like this. I've got a backpack with a big cross on it. You have a clue what we're doing and it's very easy to pick us out and therefore you can easily get found. And that's appropriately so. But the whole idea that PR is such a huge deal is just, again, a different focus, but absolutely just a really, really fun place to play. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. And it's really, you've had a fantastic career, very interesting things that you've done. And, you know, over the course of your career, this is a question that, that I, I like to ask a lot of people, especially nurses, of, you know, you've, you've been published, you've taught courses, you've been an educator, a bedside nurse. So can you tell us from, from your perspective, what is the importance of lifelong learning and why do you feel like that is so critical in their nursing profession? So lifelong learning, I think it works for nursing and it certainly works for pretty much, I would imagine, any occupation. But the whole idea, especially in healthcare, is stuff changes so unbelievably quickly and so unbelievably regularly. I mean, I personally, like many of my colleagues, you know, you subscribe to various, you know, email listservs, even if you can just read through the abstracts or the short summaries just in regards to, wow, if you just took ACLS five, you know, years ago, and then you look at what's been published since the last version of the ACLS book, just as an example came out, there's unbelievable research that comes out on a seemingly daily or weekly basis. And for lack of a better term, I think your patients deserve the fact that you should keep up on stuff because what we did 10 years ago is not what we recommend today. And in many cases, what they did two weeks ago may not be recommended as of today, depending on what gets published and what's out there. And for lack of a better term, again, I think your patients just deserve someone who continues to keep up on their learning so that they can receive the best care that they should be able to receive. I agree with that. And thank you for sharing. Thank you for letting me ask you so many questions and the great conversation. I'm going to turn it back over to Mark so that this doesn't extend for hours and hours. But Scott, I appreciate, I, I appreciate all the conversation. And, and uh, Mark? So Scott, can you tell us about a person or a moment in your career that greatly impacted you? Can you think of one moment or person? Absolutely. For me, it was when I was a new baby flight nurse and my first flight program was down in Peoria, Illinois. And I was a new baby flight nurse, so excited I couldn't stand it because I had finally achieved my lifetime nursing goal of becoming a flight nurse. And one of my preceptors was a senior flight nurse by the name of Rick Smith and he, changed my absolute nursing career forever in that I was a couple weeks into orientation middle of the night he pulls me out onto the helipad and essentially sat down and had to come to Jesus meeting and he simply said you know what we have to talk he said your clinical skills are good you're learning that's fine he said but as we alluded to earlier he essentially said you have a lot of growing up to do which at that moment was for me just heartbreaking, but absolutely, honestly, desperately needed. And he's like, you wear this flight suit, everybody watches every single thing you do. He said, so you know what? You can take care of patients, but you absolutely need to always be professional, watch what you say, watch what you do, stuff of that sort. And again, at that moment, it just took me from the highest of highs where I'm so excited finally being a flight nurse, to just getting smashed down and saying, oh my gosh, is my career in this thing that I've always wanted to do being over. But 
again, in retrospect, Rick Smith was absolutely just a godsend beyond words and that he just completely said, okay, I know the medical part, but he was the one who allowed me to evolve into the way that I feel that an ER nurse and a flight nurse should be. Excellent. Super. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate it. Want to do a few rapid fire questions. And this is one I always think is interesting. Scott, what would you be doing if you were not in your current role? If you weren't a nurse or what else do you think you might have done in life? Relatively simple. I would be working and or owning a drive-in movie theater. That was simple. <laughs> I like it. That is great. Super. Everybody Excellent. has everybody has a bucket list, whether it's visiting every major league ballpark or whatever it might be. In my case, my goal is to visit every remaining drive-in in America. There's 305 of them, and post-cancer, I've been, as of two days ago, to 183 of them. And therefore, <laughs> that is unquestionably what I would be doing if I wasn't playing nurse. That is cool. I like that. That's neat. Very good. Now, I have three uh, questions to ask you about favorites. So uh, a favorite book, uh, what would be your favorite book? Is it Harry Potter? No. Okay. <laughs> no, happily working in Harry Potter. It is mandatory, though. You have to have had a very good knowledge of the books before you can work in the park and know that the dragon goes off every nine and three quarters minutes because that's important knowledge to know as you're walking through the park. But um, from my perspective, books are reasonably simple. It's anything involving zombies. I'm very happy. Good. No, excellent. Excellent. And so how about a favorite movie? Princess Bride. Yeah, that was a good movie. <laughs> it's a close runner-up between Rocky Horror Picture Show and Princess Bride, a bit of a diverse. <laughs> but nonetheless, between those two, that would be it. And then a favorite song. I'm going to have to lead on this one. I don't know, actually, on that one. That's okay. Uh I was working in a lab late one night. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the monster mash. There we go. I, I mean, know. It's, like, it's that is a good point. Oh, we could go with this time to do the time warp again. Yeah. I mean, it's a <laughs> but, good. You and want then, to uh, do that one? Yeah. That works. Time warp is good. Yeah, time warp's good. Yeah, absolutely. And then a favorite comfort food or meal that you enjoy? That would be... From back home in Indiana, a pizza place called Aurelio's Pizza in Sherville, Indiana. When I get to go back up north to teach, that is absolutely unquestionably something that's on the list as to the pizza place that must be visited. Right next to the drive-in. Okay. Not uh, not so far <laughs> down the road. <laughs> Good. And then uh, do you have any other hobbies or interests? So for me, again, I'm blessed. I've got two young adult children that my goal in life after we homeschooled them since forever is just now to be able to go ahead and just enjoy time with my wife and my family. Excellent. Super. Great. So are you thinking of getting back on the road to more drive-ins in the, this year? Oh, definitively. It's one of the nice parts of teaching in that there's happily children throughout the country and there's nurses and medics that need to go ahead and have additional comfort when it comes to learning how to care for these kids. So as I look, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, there's a drive-in we haven't been to. We should find a hospital near there that we can go ahead and go teach for. Or, or do your presentations at the drive-in. <laughs> Everybody's got to have a goal. <laughs> Has not hit there yet. I've seen 
two of them that I've seen, it's interesting. They actually haven't had education, but they actually, on some of the nights off, they actually hooked up an Xbox and they allowed kids to come in and play Fortnite or go ahead and play whatever on the 70 foot screen. Oh, neat. I'm like, okay, that's wicked cool. So someday I'll have the goal achieved of presenting at a drive-in, but... Uh, Might as well not be driving by a drive-in. It'll say, tonight, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, it's going to be BCN in Vegas, because that's pretty uh, darn BCN cool. BCN in Vegas. I love it. Okay. So, Scott, as far as uh, if the audience wants to follow you online or social media and at uh, pdet.com, right? That's perfect. Okay, and and I'm looking at that right now for everybody, and there's a lot of neat information out here, so I highly recommend everybody go out there and take a look at it, and and I'll put it in the notes, too, so if you didn't hear it on here, you'll see it in the notes. And Facebook, you're on Facebook, too, I understand? Um, My wife is. I'm not on the Facebook. I'm not that technically savvy, (laughs) but my wife and my daughter and my children happily are, and they manage that part. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, good. Great. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for taking the time for joining us today in this episode of BCN and Friends and sharing your time, your stories, and just, wow, a lot of great information. Very entertaining. As Michael said, I could listen to you for hours. You have some great stories. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, y'all. It was an absolute pleasure. And to all our listeners, we hope you'll stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bring in new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I am Mark Eggers here with Michael Dexter. On behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 